Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Podcast. I'm David Chen and with me are Gerard Ware and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show everyone. So today uh, we are going to do a little bit something different. We're trying out a new format. Uh, one of the things people have said they've always loved about the show is our what we've been watching segments and our After Darks today. And uh, so that's what we're going to do today on the podcast. We are going to do what we've been watching and then uh, a couple topics in uh, the Slash Homecast After Dark Hopefully, if we have time, uh, we are going to do our best, but uh, I think we'll have time. We'll, we'll give it a shot. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. But before we get into uh, any of what we've been watching, I do want to say something that has been bothering me in the two weeks since we recorded uh, episode 553 about the rhythm section. Um, that was the episode of the podcast where I talked about the Netflix original series Cheer, and Jeff said he doesn't like reality TV, and I tried to say, well, it's not reality TV, and I did a really poor job of explaining why it wasn't reality TV. It turns out that the director of Cheer, Greg Whiteley, actually appeared on The Business, which is a show that I listen to on KCRW, uh, and he explained in an extremely concise and clear way what is the difference between documentary and reality TV? And let me just say, this is something I totally should have known and said and did not say because sometimes... For shame. For I'm stupid. shame. Sometimes I'm stupid. Um, and that's okay. Uh, the, the difference between documentary and reality TV is reality TV participants are paid. And so they <laughs> do things that the producers tell them to do in order to generate the maximum amount of drama or to kind of participate in the storylines. That, that is pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in documentaries, they're not paid. They're, it's a chronicle of what's actually happening. And in fact, like uh, Greg Whiteley, the director, was pointing out that often in making the Netflix original series Cheer, uh, that people would say, hey, please stop filming. We don't want you to film this. It's too personal. And he would not be able to film it. And that is that is what happens when you are a documentary and not reality TV, because reality TV, people don't get to say that. So anyway, um, Cheer and reality TV are very, very different uh, for many reasons, and one of them is in reality TV, the participants are paid. So I felt like I really had to clear that up. I want to be clear that I was talking about my impression of the show, <laughs> having not seen it. The impression that I had gotten second and third hand. That's all I was saying. I see. I see. Well, why don't we dive into what I've been watching? Actually, Jeff, why don't you go first since we're on the topic of cheer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on that week, that week's episode of the podcast, a couple weeks ago, uh, yeah. you, you know, you talked about Dracula. Uh, I talked about cheer yeah. and, uh, we said, Hey, we'll, we'll each endeavor to watch each other's recommendations, which yeah, we have you done. begged me to watch cheer. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if begging is the correct word, but yeah, yeah. you were, you were begging. Okay. Well, you know, uh, I, I have, you zero were on hands and knees. At that I have yeah, zero regrets yeah. about that. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Zero regrets. Uh, so Jeff, did you in fact watch cheer? I did. Uh, here's the thing, Dave. Um, <laughs> I'm not in love with Jerry. I just, I, lo I love him and I just want what's best for him. Uh huh. Is, yep. is the thing? Yep. Is that I, yeah. I, I feel yeah. a love for him. Yeah. And I just, special little guy. <laughs> I want what's best for him in his life. I, yes. I feel an intense love <laughs> for him. Yep. Yep. And, and, Everything he represents that's good. Yeah. And I want him to be okay yep. and be happy. Um, so, yeah, it sure's great. <laughs> and I, 
you know, obviously I w- had a wrong a misconception about what kind of show it was. Um, but and that's on me. But uh, everybody who recommending it recommended it to me uh, before Dave is right. And then also there's Dave. Um, <laughs> Did you? So how many episodes in are you? Just out of curiosity. I've watched three of the six. I see. Okay. So I would like to have watched more. I was trying to to do that, but there was lots of other stuff to watch for this episode as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, last night my wife went to bed and I stayed up and watched the third episode because I just I love those kids <laughs> and their and their struggles. Yeah. Uh, I do think that it is. Um, here's the thing about about cheer. It is a show about things that I really love, which are people who are passionate about something coming together and all being a tiny part of a larger thing. Mm. I am, I, I am a person that loves the theater. That is my cheer. That's my personal thing where we all come together and we all come from disparate places and we all come to this stage and we are a tiny part of a moving thing that is larger than the sum of its parts. And we all have to do our thing in order for it all to work together and be good. And I just, I love that process. I'm completely in love with that process. And that's what this thing is about. And I also happen to really love very specific underground, not underground, but, uh, subculture, let's say subcultures, uh, things that are not known by a lot of people, but are, but are really intense for the people that love that. I mean, I'm, I'm a person that grew up being a complete nerd back when nerd actually meant something. Uh, I've said this before, but I, you know, I grew up before the internet. So I actually was shocked sounds crazy to say it, but I was shocked that there were people when I got to college that liked Star Wars as much as I did. Like, <laughs> it just seemed crazy to me that there were other people yeah. out there that liked Star Wars as much as I did. I just, and anyway, so there's, there's a intense love that I have for subcultures and really uh, deep, you know, um, passionate, very specific niche of a niche of a niche, you know? And that's it's having a window into this world, this world where people know other cheerleaders and there's a history and there's, you know, they, they study film of the, you know, 1996 Daytona, you know, all of that-ness of it, that, 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 <laughs> you know, the, the nitty gritty of that world is also very interesting to watch and very fun. And and then you you know the the characters are are fascinating and and I talked about how I dislike reality TV because it creates characters out of people and it feels it is often disingenuous it is often manipulative and kind of gross to me um, and but I do love documentary and this is this is much more along those lines but it it does create characters out of out of these these kids out of their coaches I would argue and, Jeff. That cheer creates people out of characters. 
I don't even know how to parse that. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I'm, I say it glibly, but I also just mean it takes these people who you think, like, you watch them and you're like, oh, I think I understand who that person is. And then you realize, wow, like, they have a much richer and more interesting and sometimes more tragic history than you can possibly understand. It is it, it, it is uh, beautifully structured in that it does give you, I love how it often shows you, creates heroes and villains, and then shows you the you delves into the world that those heroes and villains came from and you go, Oh my gosh, I had them all pegged wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that's, and that's really lovely. I mean, it, it shows it's something you can extrapolate into your life and say, Oh, everyone has a story and everyone is dealing with things that you can't possibly be privy to yeah. at a given time. And so you have these people that on a reality show would play up the, conceited kid who thinks he's better than everybody else and you know you know is full of swagger and then gets his comeuppance when he misses the stunt that he was supposed to do and in a reality show that would be the sum total of your experience and you would go ah yeah i'm rooting against you because i'm rooting for this other kid that whose spot you've taken um but in this show you know in this show this documentary series there's more nuance, there's more information, and, and the show presents that scenario and then goes, hey, look at the backstory of both of these kids and realize what they're dealing with, where they come from. I mean, in a lot of ways, Cheer is about America in a very sad way, uh, and it is a kind of a crushing show. There's a sequence in, I think, even in the first episode maybe or the second episode where we literally see a teacher in this small Texas town giving people Texas history lesson and saying some truly (laughs) horrifying things from my perspective, like Tex-Mex isn't actual Mexican food. It's better. (laughs) 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 She literally says that, but not in a joke as a joke and not ironically. It was, was, you know, it's like, um, I'm packing heat all the time. You know, I'm one lady who likes to, you know, and, and so it, the the documentary it, it it has has wonderful concentric circles of awareness of you know the the interpersonal struggles of these kids and their coaches and the the hobby not hobby the competition the sport uh, in general the sport of cheerleading in general and then it ke- keeps going out and saying oh here's the context of where this sits in America. Uh, where it sits in the the lives of these people and the the states that they come from, and um, often the the lives that are very difficult that these kids can come from and have this one small moment of um, of glory. commitment to yeah. a, a glory. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of putting it. it it's really good, and you you know you were right. Uh, but again, <laughs> oh, I'm, I just need to re- record that and play. I'm recording it right now. I'm going to play. I mean, that you were back right after head. a lot of other people were already right. So, <laughs> but I will say that I I hope I was clear a couple weeks ago when we talked about it that it was really all my impression of this thing from a distance, and it felt like uh, this is going to be a this is going to be like a reality TV show and. Uh, I just was, and I even said, I think that I had a misapprehension about that. And I clearly did. And I'm glad I watched it. And now you're going to crush me by your opinion of the thing I liked. <laughs> well, I'll just say that I finished here. I will not spoil anything. Uh, except I will just say my experience was that 
It is incredible. Like, the, the, it is so good that it is now like become one of my formative documentary watching experiences. Like, it, it has expanded what I think it is possible to do with the documentary format. Um, and uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just like I'm thinking, you know, like there's heroes I have, like. Um, uh, Errol Morris and and Andrew Gibney, uh, or I'm sorry, Alex Gibney, and you know, there's many films by these people that I've watched, and I'm like, oh, like, okay, you know, some of them have made they've made great films, they've made okay films, and um, but but they've been formative in like helping me understand like uh, how documentaries can work, and this is one of this is now going to be one of those things for me, like that's how good it is. Um, and I, w- I wish I could say more, but you know I don't want to spoil anything for you. I'll just say that mm-hmm. finishing this series was a beautiful, moving, uh, powerful, poignant experience for me. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So yeah. uh, let's cheer season one on Netflix. I mean, even I, the I will first say, three by the way, I was crying. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen the first episode, and if all that hasn't convinced listeners, I will say it gave me a lot of Friday Night Light vibes too. Yeah, like just yeah. seeing the lives of these, you know, these kids and what they're going through. I think Friday Night Lights is a fictional story based on a real, you know, a real a book about an actual town and team. But I think the heart of it is really there. So I can't wait to finish it. All right. Why don't we get to our first sponsor this week, Lightstream. Jeff, you want to tell us about Lightstream? I'm a person, fellas, that does not like to carry a credit card balance at all. It can be debilitating credit card debt. Uh, Oftentimes, you'll have credit card interest rates over 20%. That's just impossible to get out from under. It, It is it's predatory, quite frankly, from my in my from my perspective, it's very difficult to get out from under that. Uh, and there are some options. Our sponsor, Lightstream, is one of those options. You can pay off your credit card balance with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream that could save you thousands in interest. You can get a fixed rate from as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay. And the best thing about Lightstream loans is that they have no fees. There's no application fees, no origination fees, no transaction fees, no prepayment penalties. Plus, you can get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that when you have good credit, you deserve a low rate and great service, and that's exactly what they deliver. So get out from under your credit card debt. You know, it, it, this <laughs> it's one of those things that is hard to have a, a, a life with that kind of credit card debt. Just for listeners of Slash Filmcast, you can apply now and get an additional interest rate discount from Lightstream. The only way to get that discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply. And offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. Jeff Kanata, what else have you been watching this week? Well, lots of stuff. Uh, lots of stuff. Uh, I mean, I know there's stuff that all three of us have watched. I don't know how much we want to get into all that yet. Uh, but I'll tell you about something that I watched that I'm so 
grateful has come into my life. And this is a gift to all the parents out there. This was actually a listener to my video game podcast sent in this suggestion to me uh, because I talked about PJ Masks and some of the stuff my son was watching. And uh, this listener from Australia suggested a show that is now on Disney Plus called Bluey. Have you guys heard of Bluey yet? I have not heard no. of Bluey. It is a children's program, but I will tell you, it is one of my favorite shows. Not one of my favorite shows that my son watches, not one of my favorite kid shows. I would watch Bluey without my son. <laughs> I would watch it without my kids. It is magic. It's so, so wonderful, this show. It is uh, animated show, uh, traditional cell animation about anthropomorphized dogs. So it's a, it's a family of dogs, a mom and the dad and Bluey and Bingo are the two kids. And it is just about their life. And it is a show that makes me want to be a better parent. It is just a show about uh, parents parenting their kids. And I'm going to make a comparison that I guess I'm not supposed to make anymore. And I understand why. Uh, but I will say that the Cosby show is still a great show, despite the monster that is the titular character. <laughs> uh, Bill Cosby, it turns out, is a horrible human being. But I loved his comedy growing up, his stand-up. And uh, I loved the Cosby show when I was a kid. And the thing I loved most about The Cosby Show was, I don't know how many people remember this, probably a lot of people listening do not remember that show at all, but the best episodes of The Cosby Show are when they set up elaborate games or imagination scenarios where they would transform their entire living room into a different place and uh, the you know Theo would walk in and... Uh, Dr. Huxtable would pretend to be the maitre d' at a restaurant, but it was their living room and they just transformed the whole living room into this restaurant and all the, the grandparents were playing a part and everybody, and they were teaching Theo how to, you know, go out to a restaurant for the first time or something. And the way they did that is they had elaborate games of imagination. I loved those episodes and that's what Bluey is. Bluey is animated and it's about dogs, but every episode is this trip of great parenting. It's, it's parents like coming up with wonderful games for their kids, uh, talking to the kids in, in ways that, that are, uh, just make me emotional and uh, seem so beautiful. Um, the first ep the very first episode is called uh, keepy uppy. And the entire episode is about how they try to keep a balloon in the air for the entire episode. They're, you know, all the different things you do. I'm sure everybody listening has played that one time or another. As you, when you're a kid, you get a balloon and it starts sinking, and you have to hit it up in the air. And then everybody's trying to keep the balloon in the air. The entire first episode of Bluey is about trying to keep a balloon in the air, and they're just, it's just that's just what it's about. How fun it is. There's um, a, an episode called The Dump, which is my favorite episode that I've seen so far. Uh, it's just about the dad taking the two kids to the dump and they're going to, you know, give away some old things. And the son realizes that they're going to throw away some of his drawings 
And the dad is like, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't realize how much these meant to you. And then he tells him a story about how like, well, he says, you can just throw it into the dirty old dump. And he said, no, I'm not going to throw it in the dirty old dump. I'm going to throw it in this part of the dump, which is the recycling area. And so this piece of paper that you drew your drawing on is going to be turned into new pieces of paper. And some other kid is going to get to do their drawing on pieces of what your drawing was. And that's going to continue changing and evolving. It's just these like beautiful life lessons that are, that come from a expressed in such genuine, wonderful ways. I, I cannot speak highly enough about the show. I would, I would watch it just to watch it as a, as a, as a person without kids. It is that yeah. good. It, it's, it's great. All right. Well, the show is bluey. And uh, how did you watch it again, Jeff? It's on Disney plus Disney plus check it out. Yeah. There. I'm looking forward to doing that. I have been watching Hilda on Netflix in the same way. It is a very, very good traditionally animated show, but also has a lot of fun little lessons in there. That's great. Yeah, I also love the animation style of Bluey. It, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's such a vibrant, colorful. It also it makes me want to like live in Australia, even though it's not really about Australia. It's just like everyone's. The, it's great. It, it is so 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 good. And my son loves it, and my wife loves it. We like get so excited about sitting down and watching another episode of Bluey. And each half hour is made up of three different episodes, so you can they're really quick, and you can say, okay, we can watch one before bed, and it's just you know seven or eight minutes. It's it's great. It's great. Jeff, you also had a chance to check out the Lock and Key series on Netflix, right? I am a huge fan of the comic book uh, series. And I remember, you know, back in the days of the Totally Rad show, we reviewed the comic book series. <clears throat> we actually also reviewed the first time this was turned into a pilot, television oh, pilot. Man. They had a uh, exclusive viewing of that at Comic-Con one year. Don't ask me to say what year it was. It's been a while. Um, but we reviewed the, the pilot, the first pilot they ever made for this, uh, which never went to series. It was just a, a one-off pilot. And we all were all sad because we had such a love for lock and key. Um, and now lock and key is a Netflix show, a full season Netflix show. Uh, and I watched the first episode and just really have no desire to watch more of it. I'm yeah, really sad. Yeah. That, really that is sad. a feeling I got, by the way, from the trailer. Like, I've read the comics. I really enjoyed them. I followed this, like, first of all, there was that failed pilot. There was a movie attempt. There was yeah. the Hulu attempt. Uh, and I think the it came back from the dead when Netflix took it and was kind of revived from whatever they were going to do at Hulu into this format of the show. And it looks and feels a lot like a typical Netflix teen show, but I can't tell. So I haven't watched it yet, but Jeff, thoughts? I mean, like I said, I've only watched the one episode, but man, I struggled to to make it through the whole thing. It just, um, it's, it's really, I, I glacierly paced, uh, it, it just doesn't, it feels lifeless and limp. Uh, I mean, it, I know that it uh, departs significantly from the comic series in subsequent episodes. Cause I was reading a bit about it on, uh, slash film.com. The first episode, it, it, it was pretty closely to the to the initial, you know, first couple of excuse me, first couple of issues of the comic, um, but somehow it just doesn't have the magic and mystery of yeah. the the comic book. It, well, also, it, like the, the book starts out with like a pretty key terrible event, right? And it doesn't sound yes. like the show deals with like it, I hear it happens it, uh, over the, time, the, but yeah, no, the show starts out with a pretty key terrible event, but. 
uh, and it and it does it sh- it shows it pretty graphically okay. and um it, you know it it is it's impactful but i just i don't know that it's it's sad to me I, I i would highly recommend people read the comic book series it's great I, I mean i bought them in hardcover i loved them so much i i had them in single issues i had them as a collected uh, trade paperback and then i bought them again as hardcovers because the hardcover editions were so beautiful nice. um I, I love it's a great comic and it it is it's kind of a horror book but it's also about magic and in the way that Stephen King, the best of Stephen King is, and this, of course, written by his son. But, um, you know, it, the, the story revolves around a house who in which there are a number of keys that can do magical things. And each key has its own magical property that can do a, wild things like you can unlock your own brain. You open your head like a lid and look inside it to see thoughts. You can... Um, you know, a key that'll take you anywhere, uh, all these kind of wild ideas. It's a great comic. And I just, um, you know, perhaps the series on Netflix gets better past the first episode, but boy, I was very disappointed. Uh, it, it just felt plodding and lugubrious. It just, it, it did not, oh, there's no life to it. It, it really felt, shame. um, Yeah. At least, at least with things like Comixology out there, like it is very easy to catch up on these these series. Like I, I always prefer the physical books, but for a quick like, hey, read the first issue, you know, or check out yeah. you know the first chapter. It is a that's a really good way to do it. It's a shame, and it's kind of how I feel about like who knows if why the last man will actually ever happen, and if it happens like this, like please don't, like just don't do it. I do kind of love that Brian K. Vaughn uh, and his collaborators on Saga built that thing like that that comic is done in such a way that you you just cannot adapt it like you can maybe <laughs> do right. it you can maybe animate it but you cannot really translate that series yeah. to the screen in in a really traditional way i mean everything i've heard about brian k vaughn is that he is uh he's been through the hollywood ringer and uh i don't think oh, he yeah, has man. much desire to play that he ran game. a tv show he ran uh That's he show ran under the dome and that was a disaster good didn't God. he work on lost for a while too yeah a little bit a little yeah. bit, yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear you didn't enjoy Lock and Key, Jeff. Um, but you also had a chance to watch one episode of Mythic Quest on Apple TV Plus, which yes. is kind of a Silicon Valley esque comedy nice. about uh, video games. And From... as somebody, yeah, who who hosts a video game podcast, curious what you thought of Mythic Quest. Yeah, and fr- and from the team behind It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I put among my very favorite. The half-hour comedies of the last, you know, decade. Um, so I was very excited about this, and doubly so because oftentimes on this very podcast, Davindra Hardwar is my is my lodestar. I can uh-huh. I can always trust Davindra's recommendations, and Davindra spoke very highly about uh, Mythic Quest. Uh, uh, you I, know, it seems like you left like at least one person out of that list of people who are your lodestar. Jeff. Let's yeah, see. It's right to me. It's not right. Think. Let me yeah. think. Let me think. There's Davindra Hardwar. Uh huh. Uh huh. I, I think that's it. I think I got it. I think okay. I, I, think okay. I did okay. it. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No one has ever <laughs> recommended something that turned out to be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Other than Davindra. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, this time uh, I don't know what show he was watching because woo, I I I really was excited to watch this and the first episode. <sighs> I did not I, think it wow. may it may have a bit of first episode itis, I'd say. But let, let me just say I'm coming off of this. Sh- I started watching the show after watching like 
right after the third or fourth episode of Avenue five, which is just abjectly terrible. Like it is just, it, I, I can barely stand that show. So this felt like a breath of fresh air. Jeff, if you watch a little more, like you don't really have to go longer for it to get good. I think it's really enjoyable. I'll, I'll talk more about it, but you finish your thoughts. Well, I have, I've gotten many tweets from people saying episode five is like this yes. gem yes. of an episode. So I may, may uh, stick around. I episode don't five is a short film starring okay. people I love uh, people. You probably do love too. It is a, it is a perfect little indie short film set in the world of game development. And I, I do kind of wish the entire series was kind of more like episode five. Cause what it's doing is really fun and inventive and bold and romantic. And I, the show itself doesn't always reach there, but I really, the thing is like, I, I've finished the series. I really enjoyed the experience. I don't think it was like transformative. I don't think it like reached the heights of like Silicon Valley did. Um, but it's also like, there's a lot of heart to it. I really like these characters and it's really interesting to me to see like this show actually explores a lot of big issues facing, you know, the gaming world. This is a series co-produced by, uh, by Ubisoft. It was yeah, actually, you can tell because there's yeah. Ubisoft game, uh, uh, footage throughout. And it's yeah. funny that they, and I was worried because they basically pitched the idea to Rob McElhinney and crew. And I was like, Oh man, is this just going to be like a big Ubisoft ad? And there, there are clips from, you know, Assassin's Creed and stuff. Uh, but I think like this, the show does explore a lot of fun things. And the, this cast is really good. I think the strength of the cast really carries it along. Are, are those actual game clips from Ubisoft game? It seemed like yeah, it was from there are some, quest. there are some, no, there are, they use for honor and, um, yeah. Assassin's Creed. I see. I see. A lot I, well, I, I saw an Assassin's Creed esque thing where he dives <laughs> into a thing. I didn't know that was yeah. actually yeah. Assassin's Creed. And they also it did is. create yeah. the graphics for like the mythic quest game too. Yeah. So yeah. It's all. Out so there. there's stuff that's created for the show, but there's a lot of other, and I think it's just like a mishmash of them saying, yeah, this game is like everything, you know? Um, but I will say, I also might, you know, I, I work right now at a video game company, uh, and I'm, I may be more attuned to how <laughs> things actually work than the average viewer. Yeah. And I know that there is a lot of comedy to be had out of how all that stuff works because I see it day to day. And, uh, I just felt like this show, I don't know. I, I came away thinking, you know, when you watch the office, you feel like, oh my God, those people have definitely worked in an office. Sure. They so get it, you know. Oh yeah, yes, that is exactly the moment that I had with the guy in the next cubicle. But if you judge the office by the first episode, you you probably wouldn't want to. I agree, and I get that, and yeah. that's yeah. how we are with TV these days, where it's like you can't just watch one, you know. And I like I know, but I had a hard time getting through one with both this and Lock and Key, and I was like, I'm I'd rather just go yeah. watch more Cheer, you know, um, and. Uh, uh, anyway, I just, I just, it just didn't feel authentic to the experience of game design to me. And the comedy didn't feel as like, it's okay to divert from that if it's for comedic gain, but I didn't, I didn't end up laughing in the first episode. And so it just didn't, it didn't land for me. And maybe I got to give it to, you know, people say that episode five, you don't even need to watch the previous episodes to get it. So maybe I'll just yeah. jump right to that. You can't just do that. But also I feel like if you do that, then It'll be even harder for you to watch the rest of the series. Um, episode yeah. five is very, very good. I'm not going to say too much about it. Um, overall, though, like I really, I really enjoyed the series. I think it's a lot of fun. I reviewed it over at Engadget, and I, I think it's a good combination 
of the stuff they were doing with It's Always Sunny, except I I can't watch that show. That show physically makes me like itch. Like I get yeah. hives watching it. Like there's a show about awful people. It's about yeah. garbage people being garbage to each other and failing through life. And you know, they support each other through that. So uh, that's something. And honestly, after watching this, I want to give it sunny uh, another chance. This show is kind of interesting because it's about people who actually care about what they're doing and they're good at their jobs. Like a lot of them are. And supporting each other along the way, too. So this also kind of fits into your cheer definition a bit, Jeff. Um, And what's interesting, too, is that the game they're supporting is like it's already popular. It's already a big MMO. So now they're just doing like we got to keep this thing alive. So they're doing like a lot of like mission critical jobs. Um, It's not like Silicon Valley where they're starting from the bottom and like slowly making their way to the top. Maybe like they're not fighting for success in the show. But I think because of that, it can explore some like really interesting um conversations and it can do a lot of things with these characters you know there's a point where they bring up a cutscene from red dead redemption 2 and characters are just crying at the screen you know it's f murray abraham crying at red dead redemption 2 (laughs) and there's a lot of cool things like that that i feel like oh man this is i'm really glad this exists this is a really fun thing to watch i just want to say quickly in defense of it's always sunny in philadelphia that uh, they are awful people but they are always the butt of the joke like it's always it's always it's not it's not a show about how great awful people are it's a show about how awful awful people are and they are always they are always the butt of the joke and i i i think yeah it takes some skill to do that and still make the show endearing and i i genuinely love that show so uh so it sounds like jeff has watched one episode uh devendra has watched um the whole thing i've seen about three episodes of mythic quest and I'm on Devendra's side. I think it's great. Um, I, oh, I'm I, glad to hear that. I empathize with you, Jeff, that like if you are in the situation that the sh- a show is depicting, uh-huh. it, it can be difficult to really because because at no point did I actually feel like this is how an actual game studio is run. You know, right. like because uh, my feeling is that it is a gross. Having worked for Xbox, uh, you know, I, I wasn't part of the Xbox game development side, but I kind of was around it enough to know like this is not what it's like sure, sure. um this is like probably a gross oversimplification uh but i once i accepted that i i did feel like uh <laughs> this is uh very very fun and yeah um yeah love the characters f murray abraham is doing some great work in this show and he's probably my favorite part of it so far <laughs> so uh, I enjoy Mythic Quest as well. Devinder, yeah. any other thoughts before you move on? It is. It's tough to compare it to Silicon Valley, and I feel like that is the natural thing here. But this to me feels more like Office Space and you know similar similar workplace shows. Like the workplace comedy is a very tried and true format, and I don't think this tries to reinvent it. But I'm hoping, based on episode five and based on some of the things I see later in the season, that maybe they can make some bigger swings in season two. I just think it's a lot of fun. The thing about Silicon Valley is that it was it was so sharp and so true. Like, that's the thing. Like I'm in that world and what that show was doing was so accurate and they were so smart about it. So it is really hard to live up to a standard like that for sure. All right. Well, um, let's move on. Uh, but before we get to our next piece of what we've been watching, uh, we got to thank our second sponsor this week, pretty litter. Devendra, can you tell us about pretty litter? So winter in New York is terrible, and it's especially terrible if you're taking care of cats, because it usually means lugging 20-pound boxes of litter from the pet store, and uh, that's not fun. I have two cats. So what I like is pretty litter, 
and I've been using that a lot recently. It is new age modern litter uh, that's delivered right to your door. And I find that to be super convenient. You don't have to go anywhere. You just have to open your door, maybe sometimes uh, help out the mailman who's carrying these things. But it is super great and super convenient. Uh, they use super light crystals to trap odor and release moisture. And it gives you like a dry, low maintenance litter. And it doesn't actually smell, which is a problem I've had with a lot of other litter options. Uh, it's dust free, especially useful if you're allergic to cat litter. And uh, yeah, I, I like that it spares my sanity. Um, it's shipped in a small, lightweight bag. It lasts an entire month. And I don't have to deal with running to the store. And the last time I had to run to the store, it was raining. It was very cold. Um, I was carrying groceries at the same time. And you're doing all that with like a 20-pound box. It's not fun. Not a fan of it. Um, but above all, I really like that Pretty Litter also gives you a sense of your cat's health. Um, it helps you uh, just by looking at the changing colors when your cat pees. Uh, it can tell you if there are underlying issues like uh, kidney uh, any kidney issues or anything like that. Like that, basically the sort of things that you can't really see from normal litter. Uh, it's kind of doing double duty here. So I really appreciate that. So you can't change the weather, but you can change your kitty litter. Make the switch like I did today. Go to prettylitter.com and use promo code filmcast for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code filmcast. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about a few things I've been watching this week. I had a chance to see um, Bojack Horseman. Finished the entire series of BoJack Horseman. Uh, they debuted the second set of episodes of season six, I want to say, uh, at the end of January. And I kind of binged the whole thing in two days. Uh, and I, I think the show is still brilliant. It's still amazing. And that this ending uh, was one that was worthy of a show. You know, it, it wasn't like an immensely satisfying mm -hmm. ending that brought everything to a close. Uh, but I, and I can't explain why it didn't do that without saying anything spoilery. But I will say that I thought it was an ending that honored what the show was trying to do. Uh, are, are you guys still watching? Are you planning to finish the show? Oh I, yeah, oh, I I'm, yeah. Oh yeah, you, you I haven't finished. I was trying to finish before we talked about it, but no, I, I'm I'm still on the first half of season six. So, uh, but I just adore the show. I I, I sip BoJack like a fine wine. I yeah. don't I don't uh, binge, and I I adore this show so much. I will say that uh, the the one thing I will reveal not not about the second half of season six, but just about season six in general is that I really appreciated that the show is grappling with shows about problematic men, you know, uh -huh. and that. In in the um, in the TV industry, we've seen tons of hit shows about problematic men. I'm thinking of Vic Mackey from The Shield, you know, McNulty from The Wire, uh, Walter White from Breaking Bad, one of the most iconic ones, Tony Soprano, and um, these shows theoretically condemn these men's behavior, right? Like I think the show, if you look at the totality of what these shows are saying and doing, it is anti these men. At the same time, it also makes these men look super cool and uh, kind of appealing in many ways. And uh, I, I think BoJack is really grappling with that idea that for five seasons or four seasons, you know, it, it had BoJack Horseman, this character who was a raging asshole. Um, but he inhabited this kind of fun world where you kind of still root for him, and he has all these poignant adventures with these crazy uh, cast of characters. And I think 
it felt to me like the writers behind the show really started to worry that people would get the wrong impression about BoJack Horseman and feel like he's someone you should be like, you know? And they really wanted to say, like, no, you shouldn't. And also, we they wanted to explore, like, what it is, what is the net effect of these depictions on the world? Uh, and I really like that. It, it's, I really enjoy when a show kind of grapples with its own legacy in the way that BoJack Horseman uh, did and does, especially in its final episodes. So, uh, big fan of the show. If you haven't gotten into it, give it a season and a half at least before you quit. It's worth it. Can I can I talk about one episode that I found particularly sure amazing? Uh, it is in the first half of season six, but there is an episode that is pretty much exclusively about Princess Caroline's uh, adoption of a baby. Yeah, raising a and kid. Yeah, it is. Uh, as as someone who has kids, <laughs> I immediately was like telling my wife, I, you have to watch this because yeah. my wife is, uh, very career driven and very, um, ambitious and, uh, very professional and is, a um, is an executive at her, at her company and really values her career and puts a lot of energy into it, but also wants to be an amazing mom and is an amazing mom. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen a, a show, certainly not a half hour comedy, certainly not an animated show ever express how difficult and impossible that is better than that half hour with princess Caroline, a cat who is raising a porcupine baby. <laughs> and the, the, <laughs> the beauty of it, it, it is, it is really talking about how, you know, she's a career woman on the show and, and, um, has a lot of ambition and wants to be great at her job and also wants to be a mom and is doing it as a single mom, which is, I, you know, it just seems crazy to unfathomable to me how difficult that is as, as a, you know, as a two parent unit, knowing how hard it is. Um, but you know, they use this, this conceit in the show, this, this, uh, interesting visual representation of w- what the internal life of a new parent is like and they split her off. Anytime she's on screen in that episode, you see five, 10, 20 different Princess Carolines all sort of silhouetted doing different things and showing how crazy making it is to be a new parent where you have this sleep deprivation and you're trying to hold it all together and there's so many things happening all at once and you, you're pulled in so many directions and they, that you don't understand why the kid's crying and you're, you have to try to maintain your life and also appease the child. And this like splintering of her consciousness into these, this constant cacophony of, uh, chaos and, and disorder and, uh, multiple responsibilities I just found it to be so effective and so moving. Uh, and then there's the layer of her judging herself and other people judging her against how other women perform and she, her trying, her sort of getting roped into this uh, women who do it all gala that she has to throw and trying to be a woman who quote does it all. I just, I'm not a woman. I watch my wife and I see how amazing and how difficult it is for her to have to, to, to try to do it all. And I was 
I just I, I in the context of this kind of show, this because it, it's still funny. That episode's still funny, hilariously funny. Um, to do that so effectively and to find a visual representation that expresses it so effectively, uh, is my hats off to the show. It's it's extraordinary. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I watched the episode with my wife as well, and she was blown away by it because it does such a great job of encapsulating the madness of having a child. And uh, yeah. my wife hasn't gone back to work yet, but she is like, she wants to. And that is the worry. Like that episode is just like, Oh God, how do, how can I do if princess Carolyn can barely do it? How can I, <laughs> it's so hard. It's such yeah. a hard thing. Yeah. Uh, it also reminded me of Tully, by the way, uh, uh-huh. a movie that yeah. we all enjoy, yeah. but was a underrated un- movie, un- man. Underrated, like un- didn't perform very well at the box office, but was a great film in my opinion. So I agree. man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one. Uh, I, it's one of those ones. You, you know, you have those movies that like stick with you, and you'll you'll mm-hmm. you'll reference. You know, my wife and I reference Tully all the time because it's like a shorthand for a very specific kind of feeling. Yeah, <laughs> great movie. Also, yeah, because not many things have explored that specific side of like having kids. I do, I do yeah. feel like a lot of people. Um, you hear the good stuff, but nobody tells you like the warnings of just like yeah. oh, abject. Uh, uh, you know, being tired all the time, like not having time to yourself and a lot of things like that. So Tully, shout out to Tully. I did finish Bojack and have to say, I really love this season as a whole, specifically because this is a season where I, I feel like more specifically, people are calling Bojack out on his shit. And I feel like I would have loved to see more of that throughout the series. I, you know, I, I love this show. I do feel like maybe towards season three, season four, it felt like there was a certain bit of repetition. It felt like in terms of how it was, you know, studying things like, oh, man, he's bad, but he's depressed and he's sad and he's had a bad childhood. And like we repeat that so often, it feels like it was starting to excuse his behavior. I felt like season five probably was the worst in in terms of just like repeating the same beats we'd seen before. Yeah. Um, so I was a little worried that season six wouldn't bring it back and go to new places, but season six, I think definitely does go to new places. And so, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I really love the show. Again, it's BoJack Horseman. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. Okay, Jeff, I watched Dracula. <laughs> All of it? <laughs> I watched, as of this moment, I have seen two and a half episodes of Dracula. Okay. So I had to stop in the middle so, so we could record this podcast. But you've seen through the end of episode two. I've seen through the end of episode two. That's right. Uh, so here's, here's uh, how I would summarize my experience watching Dracula. Uh, I, my wife watched episode one with me, and I, I, I think her description of it is really apt. She said, this is a classic Netflix show in that it is good enough that I want to know what happens at the end, but not good enough that I actually want to watch it, <laughs> is how she put it. I was not a huge fan of this show, unfortunately. I think mm. that, here's what's good about the show. I think the the main- Yeah, pers- I didn't like Cheer either. <laughs> Okay. Um, I think the main performer uh, in, in in Dracula is is great. Um, the guy who plays Dracula himself plays Bang. Uh, it looks Clay's like Bang. a it's yeah. like, kind of like a melted Colin Farrell a little, but uh, he's good. He's, he's good. Ex- he, it's excellent casting. Awesome. Excellent casting. I also appreciated like that the show is extremely ambitious, right? And uh, uh, without revealing too much about what happens, I'll just say each of the three episodes happens in a different lo- like setting. Um, 
And yeah, they're almost like three much. different films. Yeah, it's like three different films, but it features the same character and the same actor playing 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 Dracula. And I, I liked how ambitious it was, and it tries to have some interesting takes on the classic character. But ultimately, I think the biggest problem for me is I just felt like uh, the the sh- two two problems. Number one, the show is very uh, repetitious, in my opinion. I think that just like. the episode you were talking about oh my gosh three episodes so short breezes by and i did not feel that way (laughs) i felt like this is like okay like the the show hits certain points over and over again like you know the scene when the guy gets to the the in the first episode where uh, one of the characters arrives at dracula's castle and it's like the the scene when he gets to the castle just feels like it goes on forever and i know like the show is trying to like set the scene and like here's the the situation. It's a very scary castle, blah, blah blah. But it's like we have seen that situation so many times before, and I felt like this show didn't add anything new to that. And there's many things like that where I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you don't need to repeat this over and over again. Like I understand. Um, so that's one problem that, that I have with the show. The other problem is I felt like a lot of the characters surrounding Dracula uh, are either unlikable, but more importantly, dumb. You know, like, Jeff, in the past, we've talked about movies like Green Book, where... I'm sorry, not Green Book. <laughs> the Green Room is what I mean. There's yeah. very different movies. Where you've been impressed, like, oh, these people are so smart. They're acting in ways that I wish I would act if I was in that situation. Um, and these characters in Dracula do not act the way I would act, Jeff. They act quite in the opposite way. They act in often stupid ways that imperil themselves. And well, but I think that the the... the the movie or the movie, the the show is about Dracula and this other character. Yeah. And those, it is about the tete-a-tete between their intellects. And yes, everybody else behaves like dumb uh, horror movie characters, but that is, I think, purposeful to accentuate the, that these other characters are working on a completely different level. And it's commenting on that horror, those horror tropes and saying, I don't know. I I thought that was a, a chess match that's happening on a different plane than the the normal. Literally, it's like happening literally. above the plane of a normal Dracula movie, which yeah. is also happening. Yeah, <laughs> literally chess match, Jeff. Um, but um, also, uh, I, I I I that makes sense actually. That makes sense the way you describe it. Um, and I do want to say that uh, Dolly Wells, the actress who is the awesome. other, the other, te- she is, she is very good in this movie. So awesome. Uh, she, her and Clay Spang are like the best components. And if it was more of them, I would actually enjoy the show much more. I think. I mean, it's a lot um, of them. It's a lot of them. Yeah. It's so like, the first it's like, episode is barely them. It's like together. 30% yeah. them, Jeff. It's 30% them and 60, 70% not them. And, <laughs> That's kind. Of, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, is a lot of it is also not them. So uh, I unfortunately I didn't enjoy it as much. But it's just it's just it's always cool to see a classic character redone in some way. And the show adds enough new things that I I appreciated the, its contribute. The contributions it's trying to make to Dracula lore. Yeah, I, it's I, engaging I, the material. I yeah, think, I, I just wish it. it was a little. Uh, it was a little shorter, and it had more of the the the. The tete-a-tete, as you were saying. Like, I, I wish th- three movie-length episodes, in my opinion, was too long. I think it, it should have been three one-hour-long episodes or, um, yeah, it, or it should have featured there's these a, two characters more. But anyway, yeah. There's an extended sequence in the in the first episode, toward the end of the first episode, that is just the two of them facing off across a, a gate. 
and uh, or you know with a gate between them and that to me is the chess match that i think we were talking about loving oh, sure. from star trek the next generation and and i feel like there's that in every episode there's and and to me that's it was that was so satisfying and so fun and the ideas and the way the fearlessness of her standing up to him and i just loved the intellectual combat that was on it, display. It was so good, but then it was immediately undermined by very stupid people <laughs> in the scene right after. Yeah, like well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Doing I got yeah. you. Got to keep up. You got to keep up this tete a tete. You know, <laughs> like, you can't. You can't just have two smart people and idiots roaming the same story. I, I don't know. Like, I felt the same way. By the way, about um, Sherlock, like the last Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis series. Like, there there were some great episodes. I think it premiered really well. These guys do really well when they're swinging and being very ambitious with their stories and they love to reinvent things we already know. But then I think like, uh, I saw this with some of their doctor who stuff. Like sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes you swing and you miss and that's okay. I appreciate the fact that they swing. I appreciate that Dracula exists. I just wish, yeah, some of that second episode felt super rough to me. Like that was the thing. I haven't gotten to the third episode yet because I felt a little burned by that one. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, did you think the end of the second episode was cool? Here's the thing about the show that's good and bad is <laughs> it is really unpredictable. Like the scene you're describing the first episode, it is very rare for a show to just pause for a good, uh, that show, that scene seemed like it went on for like a good 15 minutes, right? In the best way. You're not yeah, yeah, to, no, no, it was, yeah. Good, it was a great scene. It's a great scene, but it's just like, it's rare for a show to just pause for 15 minutes to have a confrontation that's just like a dialogue between two characters. Yes. And that's great. That's what but, I loved about it. Um, and, and it leads, and you're always like, that's, that's one of the exhilarating things of watching the show is like, you just have no idea where it's going next. But the flip side of that is wherever it's going could also be really dumb, which sometimes (laughs) like on occasion does happen in my opinion. Like there are some twists that I'm like, okay, that's like, that's pretty silly. And I, again, I can't really, I don't want to spoil anything, but like suffice to say, I got to the end of the second episode and I was expecting something to happen because you primed me to do so. And I'll just say, I thought, okay, that could be interesting, but it could also be really dumb. And I also don't know that the show has um, like done enough to get itself into my good graces that I believe it won't be dumb. Um, and let's just say I'm still on the fence about it because I haven't finished the show yet. But I, I've gotten so far at this point, I got to finish Chef, you know? So I'm going to yeah. finish it, so... Uh, but I, I appreciate, I, I, I understand the things you liked about it and, uh, I wish there were more of them. That's all I'll say about that. So that's Dracula. It's on Netflix right now. It's what I've been watching this week. Devendra, how about you? What are you watching? Uh, I've been, uh, taking advantage of my Criterion channel membership. Uh, I checked out the Italian job, the original one starring Michael Caine and directed by Peter Collinson. This movie is not what I expected. Have you guys seen this thing? No, uh, no, haven't seen the original. Seen the original yeah. So I, I think like maybe from the legend of this movie, right? You assume like, okay, th- there's a chase with like mini cars, right? You, you assume it's about Michael Caine being suave, uh, maybe something like the, a bit of a thriller, like the remake was. Uh, this movie is straight up like goofy at times. It's very, it's very weird. Like this movie is a heist movie, very much so. Um, it has the whole thing of like uh, Michael James fresh out of jail. He gets a job. He assembles a team, but it's also like tries to be a comedy 
at times and like the there's the, the soundtrack kind of goes with it too so it feels like a weird old-timey comedy of michael kane being very silly and uh i did not expect that so i do kind of like um i love revisiting classic movies like this where like you may have an idea of what it is you know the culture has taught you oh yeah the italian job that's a classic right and i think there are a lot of great things about this movie uh, this movie opens with a um i think a first person view of somebody driving very very fast through some very windy twisty roads like right on the side of a cliff um maybe the swiss alps um it is heart stopping just watching it because you know somebody's actually doing it right so i feel like opening a movie like that super strong super engaging uh i'm not a fan of like the sillier elements of this movie but i think yeah they do some good stuff it is funny watching some of these older movies and just seeing how like blatantly sexist they could be at times um it's always a big surprise i guess with the 60s and 70s movies in this one michael kane will walk into a room where somebody hired like uh 10 women to help him celebrate coming out of jail you know and he's like okay i'll take them all baby and <laughs> you know that because that's where we were and there is one woman like basically centered in this movie who is his girlfriend who loves him despite him treating him treating her like shit all the time um and at the end of the movie he just kind of gets her gets her out of the main plot just gets her out of there um so that stuff isn't fun i I think the the actual chases and the setup of the suspense is worth watching for um just seeing like the way moving like this used to be made i think is really interesting um there's so if you guys haven't seen it have you heard like about the ending of this movie like the, the the legendary aspects of it uh no. no okay let me just say this movie invented the term cliffhanger uh-huh. <laughs> okay yeah and that i did not realize that going into this either like uh, the, the history of that like it is sort of like the egot thing this is where that term came from for a very specific reason and i just found it kind of astounding like i don't think i really don't think you could end a modern movie like this in the same way like you couldn't imagine like um you know, a uh, a Mission Impossible movie or maybe even something lighter um, like an Oceans movie just ending in the middle of the action, basically, with you not knowing what happens to everybody you've been watching for the two hours. So that is kind of fun. I think it's definitely worth watching. It is a fun ride and the filmmaking is is really well done um except for the comedy like it tries to be funny there's a guy one of the like computer expert guy he uh he is really into fat girls so the the entire thing with his characters he's he's just always trying to molest large women for comedy (laughs) that's the comedy of it so we've come a long way i think i like to think we have um the other aspects of it, like just seeing how formative it is for like heist movies, is it's definitely worth watching in that respect. Cool. That's the original, the Italian job. Yes. And Zavindra's my my whole world is shattering. I thought that uh, cliffhanger was coined by the 1993 Rennie Harlan uh, action mm. movie <laughs> starring Sylvester Stallone. So you know, I would like to think one. it is too. I'm just joking. I, I didn't. I didn't. Just to be clear, I know it's it's unclear, but I didn't actually <laughs> think that. Uh, okay. So, Devendra, we all had a chance to watch McMillions this week, right? This Uh is the HBO documentary series about the McDonald's heist. Now, for those who don't know uh, what that is, there was a Monopoly game 
that uh, McDonald's promoted for many years. Uh, while I while I was in my childhood, hood, I really enjoyed playing this game where you would get like a board and you'd match up all these stickers yeah, that were fun. printed on like cups and on fries and everything like that. And you could win prizes like a free small fries or a car or a million dollars, you know, like all these things. And I spent so long trying to get the piece for Boardwalk, which would give you like, I think a million dollars or something like that. <laughs> uh, it wasn't until years later when I read a Daily Beast piece uh, about what happened with that uh, that game that I discovered that essentially none of the winners were legitimate. Um, now, McMillions is a documentary series that covers that story. It was, I think the filmmakers were working on it before the Daily Beast article came out or whatever. It's also being made into a film with Ben Affleck and possibly Matt Damon, I think. Um, so they're, all, they're, they're separate pieces of work, but this is the documentary version of it. Devinder, what did you think of the first episode of McMillions? On HBO. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Like, it, this is a documentary that's clearly made in the style of, like, maybe trying to be... Uh, you know, a documentary version of a Soderbergh movie or of a Coen Brothers movie of this crazy scheme and them just setting up the pieces. So I feel like the first episode, uh, that's all I've seen. I, I think critics out there have reviewed up to the first three episodes. Um, I, I think it's really fun and strong and it sets up these really interesting characters. Like there's one FBI agent who I think is kind of an absolute idiot. <laughs> and he is an idiot who just like continuously fail. Like he, he just keeps moving forward because like people just like uh, are humored by his basically inability, like his inability to focus on any one topic. So like, he's a guy, he's the guy who hates paperwork. He's the guy who hates doing actual, like the nitty gritty jobs. He just wants to like go out there. He wants to go undercover. He wants to do cool shit. He seems like the dude that joined the FBI. Cause he saw a movie. Yes. And he was he, like, this guy saw, you know, Silence of the Lambs. He saw the X-Files. He was like, I want to get in some action. And meanwhile, he is in Jacksonville and nothing is happening. And he gets this one, yeah, you know, like he gets a bite of one story and he kind of goes full on it because he's like, oh, this could be a crazy wild ride. Sure. Yeah, he's, he's doing it for the entertainment. He's doing yeah. his job for the entertainment. Like, I, uh, I, I tweeted about the show and somebody responded saying like they thought that guy had big Michael Scott energy, which I thought was a good oh, oh, definitely totally true. Definitely. Yeah. He, but like he, he um, talks about being bored at least eight <laughs> times you know, in, in the show. So he's, he's like, he is like Archer. Or something like he he is a he is a character a real like life that. archer yeah a real life archer like just somebody who he wants to just go there and snap some necks with his tactical crude you know turtleneck like that's all he wants to do um, so I find that guy hilarious and I really find it funny when like actual you know those are the people in charge of our security and safety <laughs> so I think that aspect of it of like you know who he is and then them trying to figure out like oh they they figure out somebody is kind of uh, scamming this thing and. They set up the sting operation and the whole undercover thing. I found that really exciting. And it's more like I really enjoy seeing people deal with this guy. It's like, oh, this, this guy, he's, he's leading, he's leading this investigation. We can't get any work done. Um, I find him really, really entertaining. Uh, maybe, maybe this thing didn't need to be like an hour long for the first episode. Cause they could certainly could have condensed some stuff, but I had a lot of fun with it. I was surprised cause I started getting a lot of texts over this week. <laughs> That you guys, it was just no bueno. I so, know what happened. Jeff, why don't you take a bat to this thing for me? Yeah. <laughs> so, Devendra is absolutely right that th this story, 
of of someone ripping off a game that everybody remembers from their childhood because it was ubiquitous. Yes. And it was, you know, it was period every year there would be the new Monopoly game and you'd see ads and people would, you know, that idea is absolutely fascinating on the face of it and juicy and interesting. And then you have these, this character, this FBI guy who is larger than life and wacky. It just, it's like, yeah, let's how- just say, Jeff, let's basically say if you're a documentarian, right. And you're looking for a story to tell. This is this, gold. This is, this is gold. This is let's documentary. Just keep the on this, guy. this is yeah. the best story you could possibly ask for under the best circumstances you could possibly ask for. There's, there's no There's way to screw almost it up. no way to mess this one up, except they found one. <laughs> except <laughs> they found one. Um, I think this documentary, having only seen one episode, I think is very bad. Uh, I think, um, it, which is a shame because I'm I'm really interested to find out more about how this all went down. But my goodness, is this it, it just a lesson in how you take? amazing material and make it and and stretch it and make it completely uninteresting there's almost zero reason for this to be a visual show at all this could have been a podcast this could have been a reading of facts and it would be more interesting (laughs) than this it could have been a court transcript there is no visual yeah other than like 15 seconds of footage that they show toward the very end of the first episode that ultimately isn't much at all, but is interesting that they got the footage of this undercover moment. There's nothing to the footage, but it's interesting that they have the footage. Other than that, there is no visual thing in this entire show that is additive to the story. It is, yes, it's great to be able to see the people that are talking, but how they're shot is bland and uninteresting the the movie is just rife with uh reenactment that adds zero understanding or context to what you're you're viewing and ultimately the first episode which is an hour has about three minutes of useful or compelling information and let me give you an example (laughs) so this is the kind of show where Yes, they're about to set up uh, an undercover moment where they're going to interview a winner of this very large prize that they suspect may have come by it through illegal means. And they're going to set up a fake interview posing as part of McDonald's publicity department to interview this winner and try to find out information. So the way the document, which is a pretty cool thing, the way the documentary presents it is they go, they interview the FBI lead guy and they're like, and the guy says, when you go into an, an undercover operation, anything could happen. You got to be prepared for anything. Then they cut to another person, the woman who was there. And she says, I was ready for anything to happen because in an undercover operation like this, anything can happen and you have to be prepared. And then they cut to the FBI guy who actually was there and did it. And he says, yeah, when you go into a situation like this, you have to be prepared because anything can happen. And they spend about five minutes setting up what is ultimately nothing 
talking about how in the most banal, trite, obvious way, everybody in the universe knows that you got to be prepared for anything to happen because you're going in and you're pretending to be somebody else. There's no insight. There's no explanation. There's no reason to have any of those quotes in the movie at all. It is padding for what is ultimately a non-event because they just talk to this guy. He tells them some things and then they leave to go find out if it's real or not. There's, it is so devoid of drama in something that should have tons of drama. And then they show, there's a moment where they are presenting him the big check and they painstakingly talk about how we went to the beach. Yeah. And I was worried about going to the beach because when you take someone away from where you thought you were going to go, you, anything could happen. <laughs> and then they cut to the guy. He's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I just wanted to see where we could go. And everybody thought I'm crazy for taking them to the beach because anything can happen at the beach. And then they get to the beach. And then of course some guy comes up and grabs the, the check and runs with it. And then they tackle him. And it's like, what, what even was that? This weird non sequitur that has nothing to do with it. I guess it's interesting in the abstract, but has no bearing on any of the story. I, I feel and like then they Jeff, go, you are in this, your redramatization of the, of the documentary. You did miss a key point though. Like he, when our our favorite FBI agent, I forget which one is it is. Is that uh, I forget which agent he is specifically? But when he's like, they're setting up this whole interview as being this potentially dangerous thing, right? Like, oh man, it, we we got to be careful. Anything can happen, right, guys? Yeah. And this guy's <laughs> like, let let me just throw a fucking bomb into this into this like well played scenario. He's like, let's let's take a let's go look at this store, right? And everyone's like, dude, what are you doing? Your one job. Instead, let's survive this interview and get this guy, you know, dead to rights or something. And he's like, no, nah, I got to mix it up. Got to kind of dance over here. I, I think so much of this, like the fun of the series is seeing this guy. But I agree. It, they do repeat stuff way too long. But I, I'm just saying in this one scenario, you missed that key dramatic turn, Jeff. Come on. I guess. But it ultimately didn't matter for anything. It was not. But they were like, right. Oh, we something crazy did happen. <laughs> Well, and then they show they, they're like they're like you know you you might think if you're gonna go talk to somebody you might want to be armed but you couldn't be armed because if he sees the gun in your your ankle holster he might be onto something and then so they then they cut to an insert reenactment of someone taking their gun and putting it under the seat of a car <laughs> like that happened at all which it clearly did not. There's no universe in which they took their gun out and put it under the seat before they walked into this dude's house. And yet this this documentary is supposed to make me believe that that's because the reenactment shows it that that's what it's it's such it's so bad. It's so yeah. bad. Okay, so completely agree, Jeff. Uh and I think that I don't know what went wrong here. It's either filmmakers who fell too in love with their material. They didn't want to cut anything or something went wrong in the edit, but I would say the edit of this movie or this first episode is disastrous. Like I would say it's, it really, and especially after we had just watched Cheer this week, Jeff, right? Like yeah. how, like yeah. there, there feels like it's such not, a dramatic juxtaposition because that is so well made you just feel like okay there's uh, yes like maybe on occasion you feel like this is a little bit repetitive but like it really feels like whenever they show you something it's very intentional that you're seeing it and this it feels like i I just don't trust 
um, the people behind this to, to make a good use of my time, uh, honestly. I will say that uh, my uh, occasional podcast co-host, Tara Ariano, has watched more episodes of the show, and uh, she thinks it gets significantly better, and that the, cra- the wacky FBI agent is less a part of future episodes. So I do want to put that out there. I don't know if I'm going to have the patience to keep going, though. So, well, clearly uh, there's some twists and turns to this tale that are coming, yeah. and I'm curious to them. But, man, like you said, I have no confidence that yeah. this show is going to lead me through it. I mean, I kept thinking of things like um, – oh, shoot. What's the name of that show with the the older guy that killed all those people and then admits to it? Um, the Jinx. The, the Jinx. I kept thinking of that show, which also makes extensive use of reenactment, but does it – in a way that feels so additive and so yes, it's it's it not feels, even. I, I didn't know how bad reenactments could be in terms of like. Here's the thing: the reenactments themselves aren't are not even technically bad. Like they're not the the lighting is fine. You know what I mean? Like the right. set dressing, the acting is fine. Like the the reenactments are not bad from a technical standpoint. It's just as you said, their inclusion adds virtually nothing to what is happening. Um, yes. So it's almost a fascinating case study in that. In any case, uh, I want to make sure we have some time for our After Dark. But uh, Devendra really enjoyed episode one of McMillions. Jeff and I did not. Yeah, l- let me just say, tough crowd over here. Like, <laughs> guys, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying this thing is rewriting the rules of documentaries and you know, changing my life. I'm just saying it's a fun thing to watch. But I think maybe if you're coming off of Glee and you're you're cheer, seeing an amazing cheer, or, yeah, cheer, cheer, cheer. If you're coming off of that, you're just like this show has changed my life. What else can change my life? I, I mean, it, 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 it was an extremely unflattering juxtaposition, right, Jeff? They're also I mean, very very different things. I think human like stories about like human triumph and um, you know following a team and things like that like are very different than something like this. Like it's a very different story. Than I, I, I mean, disagree. I'm like way more interested in something like McMillions in, from a subject matter perspective. Um, I, I really wasn't comparing it to cheer. Quite honestly, I was comparing it to making a murderer and the yeah, jinx. Yes. And all these, yes. you know, thematically similar things that use reenactment that, you know, I, I, all have been really interesting shows and, th- and man this one it just like it just takes something fascinating and beats it into a boring pulp i don't know yeah i i i don't know like and yeah i remember you guys loving making a murderer and everybody seemed to love that i could i couldn't finish that show oh so. interesting interesting one of those things i don't know all right folks let's wrap up and we got a couple after dark topics to get to real quick but uh until next time so so uh stay tuned here we'll be discussing next week but you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Uh, until next week, Jeff Kanata, where can people find more of your work on the internet? You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I also do a live play Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. You can find that as an audio podcast, uh, wherever you get audio podcasts, by searching for The Dungeon Run. I think we just hit Spotify, in fact, I think. Um, and uh, also as a video show, we, it's very high quality. It's done like a TV show, um, not, not just a stream. It really is shot like a television show with television talent. Um, and uh, you can find that on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. And we also uh, record live. You can watch the live stream every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time 
at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Be sure to check out the new Engadget podcast, which I'm co-hosting. And I do a, a show called Culturally Relevant. You can find that at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Uh, the last episode, I interviewed one of the filmmakers behind Little America, the new Apple TV Plus show. Check that out. Uh, Zee Chun had a, ch- had a great conversation with him. So nice. check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Next week, we'll be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. That's the movie we're going to be discussing. Got to so, go fast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, that should be fun, uh, I guess. Fun? Question mark? <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. We watched the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the slash film cast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark. Uh, it's the time of the show where we talk about a variety of random topics we didn't get to during the main show. So You uh, probably stopped listening already. Yeah, no one's listening to this garbage. Um, but in any case, there's a few things we wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, we got, this, we got this lovely email from John, listener John, about uh, the Picard show. John writes in uh, uh, about our discussion of, of Picard, which is on CBS All Access. Um, she says, he, John says, quote, I loved part of your discussion because it was extremely frustrating how Picard did Earth in 2399. I needed somewhere to vent about this. <laughs> I'm very happy with the show. I grew up on the next generation. Picard is the captain. He's even like a father to me. However, this is a fully automated post-scarcity luxury communism system. Why would there be gotcha newscasts? Are they trying to get ratings to sell more advertising in a post-money, post-need replicator world? This is a world where people can transport anywhere, where there's anti-grav technology, where there are fully sentient androids, and yet Boston uh, 2399 looks like Boston 2020? Buildings would not look the same. Architecture would not be the same. If you could teleport anywhere, the entire structure of everything would look different. If they had kept it to Chateau Picard, that's fine. That's supposed to be rustic. If they had shown the archive, that would be fine. That had hologram archivists and the teleportation of objects. But everything about Dodge's apartment felt like a 90s sitcom with a few 24th century uh, pieces of tech shoved in. I understand it's difficult to imagine what civilian life on Earth would be like in this universe. So they should, just should have not depicted it. Jeff is right. They make this work on Star Trek because they're always in space and we're only ever dealing with Starfleet, not civilian life. So they can always omit stuff that would be hard to design. But like in a world with holodecks, what would your personal apartment actually look like? I would be in a jungle theme room uh, in one room and an ocean veranda in the next. There would be personal massage in another room uh, with someone who is an octopus person. I'm afraid we've been hit with a total lack of imagination by Alex Kurtzman again. Oh, that man. Sincerely, John G. So such a good point. End quote. Yeah. So that, that email comes uh-huh. from John, and he brings up a great point. A few a few great points. First of all, I think that the 24th century of Picard looks nothing like the 24th century of the Next Generation, right? Like it's so much more gritty and like it's more yeah. recognizable. And the 24th century of uh, the Next Generation looked boring. You know, the the few flashes we see of Earth. It looks like extremely boring and not very interesting. And certainly the last word I would use to describe the depiction of Earth is gritty, right? In the next generation. Yeah. And I think that this show, Picard, is trying to bring it back to like, hey, this is a future you can kind of recognize. It's not boring because 
people are killing people all the time in apartments that look futuristic. And right. it's a little more Blade Runner. Yeah. You know? And like, why is there Fox News in the future? You know, like when you don't like what, what would the media economy even be like? Do you need a gotcha newscast to get ads for your show? It, it, it It's such a fascinating road to go down yeah. that just feels like a complete missed opportunity, yeah. a total cop out. And and John does a great job of, of explaining it. You know, you if you have a world that is post capitalism because it, there's no such thing as supply and demand anymore. You know, there's infinite supply and <laughs> that yeah. d- destroys demand. So what do you, you know, he says he, he described it as uh, luxury communism or something, whatever that is. Yeah. The idea that, that we are uh, in a post need world because your needs technology has, you know, eliminated uh, or, or has provided to an extent that there are no needs anymore. That's a wild thing. There is no useful, uh, you know, advertising is not a thing because there's nobody selling anything because you just replicate it. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a more interesting yeah. intellectual exercise to depict that universe than it is to whatever it is they're depicting on Picard. Yeah, it reminds me of like this. I've read, read this Reddit thread once, but like, how would the world be different if uh, you didn't need to sleep, right? If you if, if humans didn't yeah. need to sleep to oh, uh, give it to me to, to survive, like what? Well, yeah, I know, like, right? How would the world be different? And like the the big question was like, would we even have houses, right? Like, would, would people <laughs> yeah. even live in houses? Because right. like the primary function of the house is like keep you protected while you sleep. Wow. And w- like, what would the world look like? Like, maybe there would just be like kind of communal spaces that people <laughs> exist in. You know, like it's just, just so yeah, crazy. Everlasting dorm room, yeah, <laughs> to protect you from the weather is really all that matters yeah. at that point. And yeah, yeah. yeah so like, would we even and would we have like property in the same way? It's so it's really fascinating. I agree that like um, it's a, it's a shame that Picard does not explore that and simply opts mm-hmm. for yeah, like Blade Runner esque future. Have you guys uh, kept up with that show? I haven't no. watched more episodes. It is, um, I don't know if we're three or four episodes in at this yeah. point. Like it, we're finally at the point where a crew is being assembled. It just feels <laughs> like it took a while. It took forever. <laughs> that, that's to something that should have happened at the end of like episode one, right? But it's, yeah, yeah, one or two. Like make make the pilot like a you know ninety minute or two hour you know premiere event or something, and then let's let's get going. It, this is such a baffling series to me. It's a uh, it's a lot of Patrick Stewart walking briskly to places and then like a big action scene will happen inexplicably. <laughs> um, there are a lot like I there are several characters. There are several uh, scruffy white guys with beards and I can't tell any of them apart too. like there, there's a lot of things happening that are just inexplicable in the show. And I still don't understand the central mystery. It feels like it's basically Blade Runner. But even then, I I wish I cared more about what was happening. Just want Picard visiting a planet, trying to figure out that planet, and going to the next planet. <laughs> That's all I want. I'm a simple person with simple needs. Yeah. So uh, thanks for that email. I I, I don't know. I'll, I'll try to get back into it. I, I think I have to watch more episodes just because I just love seeing it's Patrick you. Stewart in yeah. that role. Y- you got to do it. Yeah, I got to do it. So um, I, I wish, by the way, uh, I do agree with this email. I, I think of a movie like uh, we bring up her quite a bit. And I think her oh, is a beautiful so movie in terms of how it reimagines a completely different world, yeah. even though it's using like the architecture of what we know and like, you know, it's using trains and subways and things we already have. Uh, but it's taking the ideas of that 
and using them in completely new ways. So, like, you may not even notice watching her for the first time that, uh, hey, there are no keyboards. There are no mice. There aren't really many things distracting people because we're doing everything with the uh, with the voice voice interface. You just talk. It's happening. And the world seems like we, we don't get a sense of like the world class stratification or anything. But, uh, you know, everything seems pretty chill from what the movie explores, at least. Uh, I'd like to imagine like the future of Star Trek would be like that, like a peaceful thing. People get to chill out, play some video games, uh, fall in love with their AIs. And that is the drama of your life. Yeah. I will say one thing about this email I disagree with, which is John saying, like, buildings would look different. I agree with you. Buildings would look different. But I do think it's too much of an assumption that just because teleportation technology exists, everyone would use it. Because sure. I, I find the idea of teleportation technology as depicted in the show to be terrifying. I mean, the idea is that, like, <laughs> it deconstructs all of your molecules and reassembles them at the other side. And, you, you know, like you're basically dying every time you step into a tele- you know it, it's like why do we still have elevator or why do we still have stairs if we have elevators and it's like <laughs> some people like doing it the old fashioned way you know um i i don't elevators think elevators break <laughs> escalators break okay? that's right that's right that's right and sometimes by the way as we've seen many times in star trek teleportation devices malfunction um so anyway just want to just want to give a shout out to that. Okay, next topic, Devendra. You want to talk about digital movie libraries? This is a, like we're preparing our after dark topics now. Uh-huh. Uh, digital movie libraries, something you want to discuss? Yeah, uh, I just want to know what do you guys do for your movies? Because I'm finding myself buying a lot more things digitally now. Like Knives Out, um, you know, uh, just became available over the weekend, and I could have waited for the 4K Blu-ray, but I really wanted to watch it right now. And I want to watch it with my wife and I want to, you know, to watch it with my parents when I come to Georgia uh, next week. Like uh, there, there are things I really want to do immediately. Didn't want to wait for a disc. So I bought it on iTunes and I'm buying a lot of digital things on iTunes. Usually when there are sales, they have some good bundles once in a while, too. But I also appreciate that, um, you know, most of my iTunes purchases uh, connect to my movies anywhere. So if I log into Voodoo or something somewhere else where maybe I don't have iTunes access, I can still watch those movies. It seems like we've come a long way. Uh, but I have noticed, um, you know, some studios like uh, Paramount, I believe, uh, do not participate in movies anywhere. So a friend of mine bought Knives Out on Voodoo and was preparing. They were like, oh, I'm just buy it here because I'm at my work computer or something. And they went back home, couldn't get it on their iPhone couldn't get it on their um, Apple TV uh, through iTunes anyway. You could watch it through the Voodoo service. Um, but there, there was just like a bit of confusion there because those movies don't show up cross-shared on movies anywhere. So, yeah, a little thing, but I'm sure it's something a lot of our readers are dealing with. Uh, what are you guys doing? And when do you go physical? When do you go digital? I am actually trying to go physical media all the time now, um, as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, now, uh, we do have a rule. We do have a rule in our household that I, I have basically three pretty massive bookshelves that are full of Blu-rays. And uh, we, we do have a, a kind of soft rule that if one Blu-ray comes in, one must leave the house in some way. Uh, and I'll usually like donate it most of the in time. Some so like, yeah. In some uh, way. Yeah. <laughs> or throw it out, you know, whatever. Um, Maybe it'll walk out on its own. You don't know. Yeah. 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 Just to leave uh, in some way. <laughs> And I, I, I guess just physical media has become way more important to me um, because 
A, it's still uh, the best way to enjoy many, many movies. Like, there's, I, I can't tell you, there's, like, there's been several times where I've acquired a movie on like iTunes, and I'll watch it, and I will just not be a fan of the transfer. You know, uh, it won't look as good as a Blu-ray. Um, that's something that happens. But also, um, as we all know, movies can pass in and out of digital streaming services, uh, and it's just nice to have the physical copy. And of course. Physical copies are often the only place you can get the special features these days. So I know iTunes Extras has like a bunch of stuff, but like um, I, I recently, you know, Criterion Discs are where I'm investing a lot of my money in these days. And so uh, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm investing in, here, here's what I'll say. I'm investing more in physical media because I've mm-hmm. realized how like ephemeral the digital age can often be. I, I think it's great for people who are doing digital only. I think it's great, you know. Um, it's probably better for the environment. Uh, it's more convenient. You know, I, I fully support everyone who's going all digital. I think it's awesome. Um, but just for me personally, my, my choice is like, A, I want to go physical because it just gives me better peace of mind. And B, it's kind of important. It, it has become inexplicably important to me that like my physical media collection in some way represents my interests. You know, like I want it to be kind of okay. like a physical manifestation of like because I, I, I and that used to be me uh, 20 years ago. I, same. I had same. accumulated so many Blu-rays from like, oh, I got this deal. I got this Blu-ray for four dollars on Black Friday, you know, seven years ago. And it's like I'm never going to watch that Blu-ray again, you know, or even once for the first time. And uh, I've realized, like, why am I dragging this place stuff from from place to place if it's not even something I like? And so now I realize, like, okay, if I'm gonna get the Blu-ray, it needs to be something I really appreciate and that represents kind of the best of my interests in some way. Um, so that's a very long answer to your question, Devendra, but that's kind of where I'm at. How about I, you? I used that? to be I I used to care about like the 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 idea of someone walking into my home where I live and looking at my shelf and them being able to get a snapshot of who I am by that. And I just don't care about that anymore. <laughs> I really don't. Mostly because I don't, people don't come over anymore. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, I mean, I'm You've probably become gonna, a shut in basically is what you're saying. I've, I, I'm a dad and I, I therefore have no life. Um, yeah, my, I'm probably going to infuriate a lot of people with my answer to this because I'm just in a post ownership world. I don't, I'd like, there's so much stuff that I want to watch that I don't have time for. That's new at this point. Like I find myself, it's like books. I I rarely Mm -hmm. reread a book. Even if I love that book, I rarely reread it because there's always a new book. I want to read. There's always more books I want to read. I'm not going to go back to one I already read because there's so many more other ones I want to read. And at this point, I'm just feeling like that with everything where Mm -hmm. I, the time is such at a premium that I don't even need to own anything. And the the Blu-rays that I do own <laughs> at this point are in a in a um oh, what's the word? A cabinet, but there's a, a fancier word for it that we have below our television that does not have any child locks on it and that's probably on me for not putting them on. But the mm-hmm. result is that both of my kids invariably open them up, pop the discs open, see the shiny rainbow colors that are being made by the, the, the silicon disc and like playing with it and spinning it around. And so <laughs> you just left your library to die, Jeff, every <laughs> instinct that I, that I held sacred about keeping things nice and 
pristine. It has all been shredded by the demolition derby of my children. Mm. And <laughs> they, you know, the, the idea of ever having anything nice again, it just seems so foreign at this point because my kids, if they get their hands on it, will destroy it. And so I, I, even the Blu-rays that I'm ha- I have, I'm like, no, no, not that one. Oh, okay, whatever. It's the, you, no you may be it. able to do some uh, disc to digital uh, conversions on Voodoo, Jeff. So that, that yeah. may be a way. Uh, grow your digital library from those discs. Yeah. Well, speaking of digital collections of things, I wanted to talk about something real quick, uh, which is Letterboxd, which I am back on, baby. So oh, wow. I created a Letterboxd account when, it fir- when the first service was actually in beta. Same, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, this is a pretty impressive service uh, in, from a, like a user interface perspective. And I, I you know, started adding a bunch of movies. And then I just basically stopped because uh, my rationale was uh, I already do a lot of work to f- maintain like my movie watching list on this podcast, the Slash Filmcast. Like I already work – like if, if the purpose of Letterboxd is to keep track of what I'm watching – I, mm-hmm. I already have a massive corpus of work that attests to what I've been watching. It's called the Slash Filmcast, and you can look in our show notes, and it has what we've been watching every week. And so I'm, it's, I basically was like, I have no need for that anymore. And recently, uh, I've been getting back into it, and I'm like, you know what? Letterboxd is pretty great. It's pretty great. Um, you can find me at letterboxd.com slash Dave Chen. And I, I, I realized that this, first of all, like a lot of the people who use Letterboxd, like by definition, you're really into movies, and so movies that uh, I, I thought you know relatively few people have watched um, that I know, like Memories to Murder, uh, Memories of Murder, the Bong Joon Ho movie. You know, there's thousands not only of people who've watched it, but like reviewed it on Letterboxd, and you can read their reviews and see what list they put it in. But really, it feels to me like like the good parts of Twitter slash film Twitter. Uh, with very few of the bad parts, you know, because like a lot when I look through my 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 stream, right, a lot of it just feels like a celebration of great movies, uh, and you could just see like so and so left a four star review on this, and you can read the review and see the comments, and it just it feels like an early social network before you know the Nazis and. Mm-hmm. the disinformation campaigns and uh, the hackings and all the, the you know, all, all it's basically because the scope of it is so limited to just movies. I don't even think you can easily leave reviews for TV shows on this thing yet, as far as I can tell. Uh, it's so limited to just movies. It's like, it, it, there's very few ways for this, this service to be distorted in ways that other social networks have been distorted. So I'm having a great time with it. What is, what is your opinion of Letterboxd, guys? Your, cool. I, I signed up when it started, same deal, and uh, just never, never get around to it. Their early apps were not great. It was really hard to like interact with it, yeah. and I just I could not make that time for it. Uh, I'm glad to hear it sounds better now, though. I kind of want to put some stuff up there, so maybe I'll revive mine too. I, I think it's great just because, yeah, you, you put something on there and people can like see. And I'll just say one other thing about it. Well, actually, Jeff, let me ask you um, what your opinion of Letterboxd is. I'm, I'm assuming... You're too busy to maintain a letterbox. <laughs> yeah, I've not touched letterbox in literally years. Yeah. But I have heard, I believe, unless I'm misremembering, but I, I'm pretty sure Peter Serretta is diligent about his letterbox. And I hear him talk about it. And I am envious of that sort of just record keeping aspect of it that he seems to have 
bought into. And he, he, you know, I remember him talking at the end of the year when we were talking about our, you know, top movies of the year that he just like went back to his letterbox and yeah. looked through things and it was all there. And he knew exactly the dates at which he watched stuff. It was like pretty awesome. And, and I, you know, I envy that, but there's no universe in which I'm going <laughs> to be able to yeah, organize I, myself to the point where I will do that. See, that's the thing is I don't care about the keeping track of things element of it. Um, because I already, mm-hmm. already do it on this podcast, right? Like, this podcast yeah. covers like eighty. We don't talk about everything we watch, but we talk about like I don't know seventy to eighty percent of it. So it just but it's like... a pretty it's a pretty inefficient <laughs> manner of keeping track because you have to like look through our feed and then look at the show notes yeah, and all. You know that's not yeah no, that's not true. easy. That's true. That's true. Um, but I'm just like, look, I already put enough work into the podcast. I don't need to put any additional work into this letterbox. That was my thinking before, but. Um, I, I, I am more into it for like uh, the social components, you know, seeing like what what you what pe- people who you follow on Twitter is like seeing what their opinion is on movies. And I will say that like uh, the the structure of the site makes for some really interesting ways you can juxtapose things like like many film reviews are one sentence long and are wildly popular on the site. And it's because of the way that the just when you're looking mm-hmm. at it, it's like you see the movie and it's juxtaposed with the one sentence review, and it's like th- that's it's not as easy to do that on Twitter. Like if that, it basically, I'm saying if someone typed that on Twitter, it would not get the same reaction because on Twitter you need to say here's my review of Joker or whatever. And so there's like a review on, uh, on Letterbox of Joker that was very popular. It was like, you know, um, a swimming pool is deep to someone who's never been in water. Uh, and, and that was the whole review of Joker and it was like, like very, very popular. And like, if you said, because it's like a review of Joker, I think it's like more popular than if it was on Twitter and you had to say, this is my review of Joker, a swimming pool, you know, like just wouldn't necessarily do as well. I don't know. Uh, I, I think just the, the format of it leads to some really cool, uh, juxtapositions. And for instance, uh, you can make lists on, uh, on Letterboxd and I made a list recently. It's called... Movies starring Ewan McGregor in which all the action abruptly halts so that people on screen can perform an elaborate dance number set to a cover of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Uh, <laughs> do you guys know what movies are on that list? Moulin Rouge? Moulin Rouge is one of them. Mm-hmm. Birds, um, Birds of Prey is the other one. That's the one Birds we, of Prey, yeah. we did that last week. It's a, yeah. a two-movie list. Uh, <laughs> it's a short list. Basically, I'm saying this is my new format in which I'm going to do my Boom Goes a Dynamite joke. <laughs> I like it. There's a. Uh, I also made another one. Uh, this is I stole this from Screen Junkies, but sequels to movies starring Will Smith that reference Will Smith's character using an oil painting on a wall. <laughs> that would be Men in Black International and uh, Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> I'm in love with this, Dave. Yes. I'm in love with this. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, check check it out on letterbox.com slash Dave Chen. But uh, I, I'm really getting back into it. I'm really, really getting back into it. And I, uh, I'm loving reading everyone's stuff. So there's a really funny podcast idea here where you come up with, you talk about multiple films that are linked by the most bizarre, obscure. <laughs> yeah. And then like have people like try to figure out what it is. <laughs> yeah. You're literally like yeah. talk about these various movies. And then at the end, it's <laughs> how do you, how are these movies linked? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we've been going long enough. That's going to bring us to the end of this uh, episode of the Slash Filmcast After Dark. Let us know what you think of the new format. Slash Filmcast at gmail.com. We'll see you later. 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.